Intentionally Grounded. I'm your host, Brian Willie, along with my co-host, John Kesselring. Episode 45 features the head coach of Augustana University, Jerry Olszewski. Coach discusses his journey in the coaching profession and shares advice for aspiring head coaches of all ages. Coach also details the components of Augustana's culture, how he builds buy-in with his players and staff, and how he helps each student-athlete find the right fit and transform from good to better to best. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, it'd be much appreciated if you could leave us a review on iTunes to help grow our program and share our message with a larger community. This episode of Intentionally Grounded is brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practices by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send scout cards and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play-drawing systems and hand-drawn cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at www.goroute.com, that is G-O-R-O-U-T.com, or by emailing at sales at goroute.com. Or you can call the phone number at 866-777-1448. Episode 20 of Season 2 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Jerry Olszewski starts now. Coach, introduce yourself to our audience and explain why you got into coaching. Yeah, um, Jerry Olszewski, um, the head football coach at Augustana University, and uh, been doing this uh, got 27 years this year uh, at, at the next level. And uh, guys, the reason I got into coaching is the reason I'm still coaching. Uh, I just really like uh, the, the thought process of, of shaping young people uh, to to make this world a better place. And 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 for me personally, it's it's about making them better human beings, and and hopefully you know, guys of, of, of faith that will make this world a better place when they're done. And football is just a vehicle to it. And uh, it's the purest game out there. It's still the greatest game in the world because you do some of this stuff in, in the public, you're arrested. Um, I, I just love why and how football still continues to be the builder of men in this country. Coach, you were a player at Wisconsin-Stevens Point, and you played cornerback in the early 90s. What aspects of your playing career have helped shape shape you as the coach you are today? And how is the experience for a collegiate athlete different today than it was when you played? Well, that's a long time ago. <laughs> <I'll say that. laughs> uh, they're, they're a lot faster and stronger than I remember as a player. And, and uh, you know, I, I run into some little teammates and we had some great players. I was blessed to play with, uh, you know, a, a bunch of great men uh, and four of my teammates ended up making it to the national football league. And, at some point and, and uh, just uh, played against some guys that made it to that level, but it wasn't about that. You know, what I learned in, in playing and the aspects of my career were uh, I wasn't the fastest guy in the field. You know, I wasn't the biggest guy in my position. I played cornerback and, uh, but I studied the game and I loved the game. I love everything it stood for. You work hard and you should expect great things to happen for yourself. And, and uh, you know, I just believe that in this game, as we go through it now, it's still consistent today for, for what I learned as a player. The best players are still the guys that you get out of it, what you put into it. 
and and you know God gave us certain stability and just had to talk with one of our players tonight that you know you got to use the ability you've been given it's a gift and you're not using it to its full potential you know we need to elevate your play and your production and he agreed and what it is today I think there's there's more distractions today for for young people than than certainly when when I was going through um, not only social media but just in general the world moves at a lot faster pace I believe and and we get caught up in things that, in my opinion, you know, aren't as critical to us being the best person we can be, yet it eats up a good portion of our day. Um, that's the one thing I love about uh, – one of the things I love about football. When our guys come to practice, you know, we have them punch the goalpost. You know, just – and not – it's a pad on it. You just tap it and they walk on the field. But that's clear in their mind that whatever was happening previous to that moment in the day, you focus for two hours for your teammates. You, know, you give it to this team for, for the two hours we're out here. You focus 100% on what this is. And then when we leave, they tap the goalpost on the way out, too, to remember that that's behind us. Now go be the best person, student, you know, you can be. And I think today there's just a lot more distractions. But uh, with that said, you know, it's the purest game that there is. And if you can get them focused and motivated to be the best, then it ends up that way. Following your, your playing career at Wisconsin Stevens Point, you spent some time in the IFL with the Green Bay Bombers and then also um, have spent some time uh, at MSU Mankato coaching um, in the early 2000s before stepping away from coaching uh, to take a job at the YMCA in Mankato. What motivated you to step away from coaching and what was the biggest adjustment you had to make while serving in your new role as CEO of the YMCA? That is such a great question, guys. It really is. Um, I love this game and it's been very good to me uh, at that point in my, my life. Um, I was the finalist for the MSU job and uh, I got down to uh, the final two and, and I didn't get the job. And I was a young guy at that time, you know, very young. My wife was pregnant. Dina was pregnant and uh, we were expecting a baby. And um, as, as it happens, I got offered three jobs in the next three days, but they were uh, Texas, California and California. And uh, at that point, you know, we were, we, we really, I wanted to focus on my family and I got an opportunity at the YMCA to, to take on a, a CEO role, um, you know, which, you know, I was up against a great pool of candidates for that. And whether I was prepared for that job or not, it's one of the most meaningful jobs I've had in my life. Uh, I, I was really motivated to have a job uh, as my family was growing and, and I needed a job. And, and uh, at the time I was a little bitter. Uh, about not getting that assignment uh, at, at uh, Mankato, but uh, the reality is God's greatest gift is, is my time at the YMCA. I, can, I mean, I, I still do things today, guys, that uh, I remember back to my days at, at the Mankato YMCA that formed me and shaped me and challenged me and, and to learn things and grow things in my in my non-comfortable zone to become the man I am today and, and the best leader I can be. Coach, that's awesome stuff, especially Brian and I both uh, young coaches. That means a lot to hear a lot of those words. But you did get back into coaching uh, back in 2006. Uh, back at Stevens Point, you became the defensive coordinator, and then uh, two years later became the head football coach at St. Olaf College. What was it like for you to become a head coach for the first time at the collegiate level, and, and what were some of the unexpected challenges that you had to kind of go through early on in your head coaching career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I missed football. I missed the competition, you know, to, to get back into it, to be very frank with you. I thought we did some really great things in my time at the YMCA, and and, and I was, uh, I offered the opportunity to go back to my alma mater in, in, a, in a coaching waiting scenario. Uh, but my challenges as I went from Stevens Point to St. Olaf as a head coach, you're, everybody thinks they're prepared, and, and many of us are, and, and many guys out there are, young coaches included. But you just can't replicate the unexpected things that pop up. It's such a great question. 
you know, whether it's a, a player personnel issue or, or a faculty member or a booster or a parent or uh, a bad scenario, you know, that happens. Uh, unfortunately, we had a young man that lost his father during the season. And, you know, you know there's no book you can read on how to, to deal with that as a football coach. What's the biggest adjustment, in your opinion, for a coach making the transition between an assistant coach to a head coach at any level? And what advice would you offer aspiring coaches in their transition to the head coaching position? Yeah, another great question. I think that, uh, you know, the biggest adjustment is that, uh, you know, you're now the, the deciding vote. You know, you're the, you're the factor in the room that has to disseminate between input and decision. And uh, as a head coach, that's a great responsibility because it stops at the end of the table. Uh, I, I, I constantly challenge, and I've had such great assistants over the years, all the way from my time, you know, at Stevens Point to Cal Lutheran and I mean, Tom Herman, the head coach of Texas, was our student assistant, and David Aranda, the D.C. at, at, at LSU, is, uh, uh, was our student assistant in my time out there. And, and, and both of them, obviously, are having incredibly successful careers. But way back then, you know, we made a real culture uh, decision to say, be the best assistant coach in the country. You know, master your position the best that you can. And that's not only the skills and abilities of your players, but also who they are and, and then the X's and O's and, and techniques and drills that you learn. I think the biggest adjustment is, you know, if you've gone through that as an assistant, you think you know everything. <laughs> you know, if I really think I'm the best assistant, I've done what I need to do to, to get my guys ready. Um, you've prepared yourself to be a head coach then. You know, now it's there's a certain thing, you know, in football, there's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an elevation. You know, you should coordinate before you become a head coach, in my opinion, because, again, you have to lead people other than just players. You, know, you have to lead coaches, and I think you have to process the game differently. You know, we, every offensive coach wants to be great. Every defensive coach wants to be great. But as a head coach, you want to make sure your team is great. Um, so my advice I give to aspiring coaches in transition as they go to a head coach is um, stay true to who you are. Have your philosophies and beliefs of what you will provide success and what you believe will success, provide success in your program. And I'm not just talking about what offense you're going to run or what defense you're going to run, but how you're going to act, how you're going to treat each other. You know, how your timelines are going to fit. You know, are you, uh, when are your, when are your things in and do and, and, uh, you know, programmatically, how you're going to operate your systems with your players? What are the expectations you're going to put upon them? Once you got that manual, if you will, then it's just inserting it and making sure that, that you hold kids accountable for being well. I've never had a kid yet, not one player in my career that wanted to be unsuccessful. You know, none of them went in and said, I'm going to fail just to see if I can take off coach. That's a great idea. Uh, all of them want to be successful. And every coach is the same way. It's making sure at the head of the table that you, you understand you're responsible for all those people. And without a plan, you know, you can't expect success. So have your plan ready. And then the last thing I'm going to give advice is God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen to the assistants. You were once one. You know, if you're going to be a head coach, I think you have to have input from your, your staff. And then you make the final decision. I remind our staff to this day, we just said it this morning, I don't care whose idea it is, when the door shuts, it's our idea. Whether that's a graduate assistant that came up with it or a 20-year veteran, um, as long as it's what's best for our uh, program and our decision-making, that's what to do. And I think just put yourself through those experiences and, and you'll be in good shape. Coach, after, after staying all off and you had a, had a very good run there for five years, you came to Augustana in 2012 and you've been there ever since. Uh, what attracted you to Augustana and, and after spending so much time and effort building such a strong program at St. Olaf? Yeah, uh, in fact, a dear friend of mine just stopped into town today that was 
uh, on my staff at that time, and and uh, he's in he's in the, the private industry now, and um, incredibly successful man. And we reminisced a little bit about our time at Olaf. Uh, I, I I think back on it incredibly fondly. Um, you know, I got together with some of my players in Minneapolis over uh, the the high school clinic, and just sharing the memories and the experiences we had, and, and I don't regret a second of it. I loved every player that I had and the, and the memories we made, and I think we represented the institution the right way. In three years, we missed the playoffs by, you know, a, a play or two, um, and, and so I'm proud of what we did there. What drew me to, to Augustana was, you know, the opportunity to get back in the scholarship game, um, and, and I missed that from my time at, at, at uh, Mankato, and uh, I thought that it was a hidden gem. I thought that Augustana really, and I do believe that, can become something so much greater than what people believe it, it is currently, and, and we got, it's a very similar environment. We take high academic kids or kids that have a, a, an aspiration um, to, to be their best and challenge themselves, and um, and, and then also, you know, get that balance of a great football player that comes with it and, and understand that and when you walk away from something, it better be better to the next one. And I knew that there was some work to do here and I left a really good thing there. And I'm so glad that I did because the challenges I faced in those early years, um, you know, led to a conference championship here at, at, at Augustana and there'll be more to come. I like this team we have right now. But I also look at the people that I've served. You know, it's a very similar uh, 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 school system and environment when you go and take those people. I mean, I got 10 doctors, two, uh, three lawyers, and three dentists out of the last two classes that we graduated. That's that's obviously some pretty great people. I also had the National Player of the Year, Academic uh, Athletic Player of the Year, and Kirby Hora. You know, you don't get to meet those people. Uh, those are very unique scenarios. Uh, and I also love the challenge. You know, when I got here, people were, you know, saying, oh, look, wasn't this, and, and, and we proved them wrong. And Augustana wasn't this, and we're proving them wrong. And, and I think the best is yet to come, and I'm excited. I'm excited by the challenge that comes with finding uh, the well-balanced individual that wants to be a competitive hombre and, and win every time he takes on the field. And, Coach, we talk here a little bit about the right fit being, you know, Augustana for you during this time period and in this period of your life. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, flip that over to, you know, our, our players here. You know, what is it all about, you know, maybe Augustana or just simply any kind of collegiate football program or even a high school football program? How important is that fit for a player um, to be successful in whatever they want to do? I think it's the number one thing. I, I really do. Yeah, you guys, when put it this way, you know, when you're, when you're a good player – Everybody is, you know, you attract teams and you attract the attention you deserve because you're a really good football player. Uh, that means you got options and you got ability that, that will transpire into college athletics and you get an opportunity to do a very special thing. But I've said this many times in recruiting and it's a, it's a, it's a different analogy, but stick with me on this. You know, when I first met Dina, my wife, it was her beauty that caught me. I mean, I saw her from a distance and she was an attractive woman, just the most beautiful woman I've seen in my eyes. But uh, I didn't fall in love with Dean until I got to know her and we spent time together and, and went through some stuff together. And, and, and I got to know her and she got to know me. Well, football is the same way. When, when you look at recruits, fit is so important. You can play football at a lot of levels. And you look at the NFL draft, they'll find guys in Division three, NAIA, Division one, FBS, you name it. When you're good, you're good and you'll find it. But the experience you have is a life worth, a lifetime worth. And I, I, I always tell parents, if this isn't for you, then run to what is. If there's something better for you that fits you, but understand what your fit is. Go into this thing, understanding what you want out of it, what's important to you, and does this school provide those needs for you, and does that staff or that coach provide those things for you in your life? If they do, man, you you that, that's awesome. You, you've hit the lottery. Uh, if it doesn't, then don't settle. 
you know, find that place that's going to challenge you to be the best you can be. And I don't think that comes at a level. I really don't. You know, I'm really happy with our roster, and I'm really pleased with the, the competition we get to play against. But when you talk about fit, it's got to be right for every individual. And that doesn't mean everybody should be at X school, you know, and I, I'm going to USC. Why? Because they're the best. Well, that's great. What are you? Does that fit you? Are you a big school guy, small school guy? You know, there's, there's distance a thing for you. And that always comes into play. And I trust guys that trust their fit because they have a better understanding of who they actually are and, and guys also who they want to be. You know, they want to surround yourself with great people and great things will happen to you. Surround yourself with people lesser than you and you may never reach the potential you should have. And I think fits a big piece of that. That leads great into the culture piece of things. And, you know, and culture has always been a, a priority of yours in your programs that you've led. And, and your cultures have been predicated on producing young men of faith and character and integrity. Why do those traits hold such a value to you in your program? And how have you cultivated those values within your players? Yeah, I love that. It's important to me because uh, it's never ending. You know, if you have those things in your locker room, you know, you have faith in, in, in your in the faith itself, you know, whether that's spiritually or, or in each other, you know, as well. Um, character integrity. I mean, you tell me some people that don't want that. Uh, it's just there's the accountability factor to one another. When, when you look a man in the eye across from you, and do I trust you? Do I trust you with my livelihood to go and do your job the best you can so I know I'll do mine? Um, and the other part of that is it doesn't end. You know, it doesn't stop with football. That's a life lesson. And, and there's, to me personally, there's no greater life lesson learned than in the game of football. You don't always get your way. It takes 11 to get seven or stop seven. And when you go through the process of a journey, a freshman, generally speaking, isn't ready to play. You know, it's just difficult for a true freshman to walk in and, and compete at the level that is necessary uh, to be successful. But along that journey of growth that they go through, you know, if they grow as a man in that process, I may be the backup to, to a guy. And I was. I mean, I went in as a quarterback, and, and my quarterback got drafted by the Green Bay Packers. So, thankfully, our defensive staff looked at me and said, you know, you want to go play corner? And I started, you know, and I went into a starting role. Thankfully, they did that uh, because I had enough faith in what they did and, and the character that I represented. I think they saw it. I want all of our guys to have that. It's just, you know, I want them to be great husbands. I want them to be great fathers. I want them to be leaders in their community when they leave. And when they're in the football field, man, that's that's the time when those things really shine. You know, my father made a statement to me when I was a young man that, you know, who you are is, is most shown when you're squeezed. You know, when, when you're under an adverse situation or adversity strikes, your true colors come out. You know, be that person. And I'm thankful for my dad for and my mother for raising me the right way, but I'm also thankful for the people that have been around me. And, and if we have a small part in that and can grow our young men uh, that way uh, to become productive members of society and, and have a football experience that let them that way then then that's doing what we're supposed to do and how we do it in our program every day every day you know we talk about f3 you know faith family and football keep it in that order and and, and if you do that i think that you know good things happen for you and, and we often get challenged in this game where this priority comes over this priority comes over go back to the basics and understand why you're doing what you do and the other thing i tell them and, and challenge it every day and how we do it is i just got a statement be the rock you know, be the rock that makes a ripple change. You throw a rock out in the water, you, you see it makes a ripple. Well, you won't see the wave at the end, but you see the ripple. Be that rock that makes the ripple. And one person at a time, our locker room changes. I love our locker room right now. Okay, two years ago, we had to get through some stuff, and now it's, it's we're there. Uh, these guys, when they're 35, 40, 50 years old, are going to give me a call if I'm still living. Uh, give you a call 
and, and say, you know, geez, coach, you know, you're right. I remember this scenario. And, and by the way, I just got a call last week. One of my players had twins and, and what a great phone call that is. But he picked up the phone and called me and, and that meant everything to me. So I think that it's a, a gift that keeps coming back and it's just a way to play and it's a way to live life and you'll be a better husband and father because of it. Coach, you've touched on a lot of really good things, but how do you continue to motivate and build buy-in in your program year in and year out, especially when there's so many, you know, Brian and I are both high school teachers. There's so many negative labels our kids get, you know, they're lazy and they're, they don't have a great work ethic and not very team centric. And, you know, all the things, how, you know, how do you get kids to believe and motivate them when they hear that, that all the time about their generation? Yeah, I think what, what a great challenge you guys have. Uh, and we all have, we all have, uh, and I could I could be specific about conversations I have in my office with players that, you know, I think that buy-in comes from belief. You know, you're never going to become what you're supposed to be in any organization if you don't get buy-in. If it's a bunch of individuals, uh, you'll never become everything that you're supposed to become. You'll have success, but it'll flee. It won't be long-lasting. It won't be sustainable. The buy-in comes, in my opinion, I've always believed this, I'm a buy-in guy. I want to be a servant leader. I'm not asking them to do anything more than what I'm willing to do myself. When we had to shovel the field the other day, guess who had to shovel his hand? I did. You're darn right I did. You know, I want our coaches to see me doing the same thing. And, and you guys are going to laugh at this, but I walk around campus, around our community, and I'll see a piece of paper or a pop can on the ground, and I'll stop and pick it up. That's where I was brought up. You know why? Because I still can. I'm still physically <laughs> able to, to bend down and pick it up and throw it away. Here's the really cool thing. Here's the cool thing. I go and do it, and I watch, and here's some of my players doing the same thing. We didn't have to do a campus cleanup. They do it when they walk to the cafeteria. It's just a way of life of what you do, and, the, and kids haven't changed. You know, yeah, we got different things in their way and obstacles. Parents have changed. We've changed as a culture, and, and part of it is we don't hold them accountable. I have an 18-year-old son that's going to college next year. Thankfully, he chose Augustana. I'm so excited he's going to come here and play baseball, and I can't wait to, to watch his journey. Dean and I are so excited. But you know what? He's not done growing yet. And, and I want to sit and say, get off your phone. You know, you're on there too much. You're doing this, you're doing that. And I look at it, and I say, wait a minute. I was on my phone with a recruit for four hours. You know, uh, I, I think if we hold each other accountable, and, and, and to the players, you, you put an obstacle in front of them, put a challenge in front of them, and, and this is to the parents out there, too. We're not in a popularity contest. You know, we didn't become parents to, you know, make sure our kids always liked our decisions. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't like every decision my parents made. But I don't think they made a single one, not a single one did they ever make that didn't have my best interest in mind. And I think as coaches, we got to express that to our players, too. Hey, listen, we want what's best for you. And every one of you wants something. You know, you want to start, you want to play, you want this, you want that. What are you willing to do for it? Here's how you're going to get there. Here's the process. You're going to go to weight training four days a week. If you don't come, don't expect to be successful. If the reason you weren't there, share it with your teammates, not with me. We want to build a culture here that has player uh, policing. We talk just enforce the culture. That means player to player and, and get thicker skin. You know, right now in our society, I will say this, and it's not just our kids. It's our, our society. You know, when people try to give a, a constructive criticism, you know, immediately people want to get in an argument over it. And, and, and it's, you know, the BCDs, the blame, complain, and defend over an issue. The reality is let's just stop for a second and look at any truth in a statement and say, is that reflective of who or what I just did or who I am? And if it is, then own it. 
you know, I got something on my board and it stays on this board. It always has that mistakes have four parts to them. First one is recognize it. Second one is admit it. Third one is learn from it. And fourth one, don't repeat it. If we run that gamut with our kids and high school included, and you allow them to recognize their failures, allow them to admit it and then learn from it and then tell them not to repeat it. Then they're learning. That's a learning experience. And, and this is a topic I'm kind of, uh, I'm sensitive to right now because I keep hearing it that, well, this kid's lazy and his work ethic isn't there. Well, then challenge him. If he doesn't meet the bar, here's the circumstance. What's going to happen in the real world? I remember the first time my son came home from a tournament. There was eight teams in the tournament. I watched him get 10 runs in the first two games, and I wasn't able to see the third game, but they got 10 runs in that one too. He came home with a medal. I said, holy cow, how, how did game four go? Well, we lost it, but I got a medal coming home. You were over for four tournament. You got a medal for sixth place. Seventh and eighth place got beat worse than you. <laughs> I'm like, I, I called the tournament director. I said, I got an idea. Cut the tournament fees down by a hundred. Give the top two teams a trophy and let the other one say your gift was competing. You got to come and play ball, you know, and you earn what you get. And I think our society teaches us that right away in the workforce. And you guys know that. But until we put that on our kids and understand that here's the here's Here's the scope of what we're doing. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's the expectations on you. Let them prove you right or wrong, but don't count them out. Put the expectations on them. Encourage them to achieve it. And if they don't, here's the consequences to it. And then stand up to the consequences. Now, Coach, you've preached in your program a message of good, better, and best, and that you'll take a good student athlete and make them even better, and then take a better player and make him the best. How do you develop yeah. that mindset with your players, and what supports do you have in place to ensure this mindset follows through into action? Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thanks for challenging me that way. I appreciate it. Uh, it's something that, that I learned from a, a Hall of Fame coach in the state of Wisconsin named Bill Collar when I was a 21, 22-year-old coach. Good, better, best, never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. All that means is this, quite simply. Each of us has a capacity. And, and we have a gap in us. You know, I know what my potential is and I know where I'm at. And often there's a gap in between there. Our constant goal is to reset our bar. And I tell our guys, I'd rather have you aim high and miss than shoot low and hit. It's easy to do that. It's easy. You know, I want a bunch of guys and understand in life that it's not just about us. It, this, this isn't a toilet paper roll you look through. You're missing too much around it if you're just focusing on yourself. you got to grow in it. And the good, better, best comes in. It, it, the way to the top, guys, the way to the top is not by putting other people down, and that's what too often happens nowadays. It's not putting other people down. It's by improving your skills or abilities and rising above them and then making them meet your bar. We talk about how do I enforce it? Day one in camp when we get a player in here, and our seniors know it and, they, and upperclassmen know it, when we bring a young man in, I say, you're going to earn everything you get, and you're going to appreciate the gifts that you're given. And then you're also going to challenge everybody around you. We talked about that enforcing the culture deal. If, if you're the starter – and, and, Brian, you're starting, and, John, you're his backup, okay? Brian, your job is to be the best player you can be. And, and, John, your job would be to make sure that every day you come, you're your personal best to keep Brian's game hot. And for whatever reason, if he stumbles, Brian, you don't play as well as you're capable of or you get injured or whatever, you know, John needed to be your biggest fan before that because if you're not playing as well, I as a coach have every right and responsibility to say, John, you get an opportunity. And now, Brian, you got to be his best man. you got to be in his corner. When you create a culture like that, and for us, it's all about the good, better, best. How good you want to be is how much you put into it. And if this guy's better than you, as coaches, and you guys know this, 
we have nothing to gain from not playing the best players, right? I mean, there's not a single day where you're going to say, yeah, I'm going to play my fourth best guy today just because. Uh, you earn those rights to get it. And when you do those things, I think that kids start to understand, wow, if I want to be that, I got to do this. Am I willing to do this to get there? And that's the daily challenge. Am I going to settle to be a number two or a number three? Or am I going to challenge myself every day to say, I want a shot at it. I'm going to go give my best. And again, I'd rather aim high and miss than shoot low and hit, but I want to be my best. And if you beat me, you beat me. And, you know, you hear this analogy about, well, we just want to get the win. You know, if you're cheating, ain't trying or something like that. I hate that one. I want to play teams when they're full, when they're full, ready to go. I don't like when we play teams that are banged up or anything else, because then it's, it's almost like give it back. You know, were we as good as we need to be? I want to be our best. And and if we all live life that way, man, what a life we live. If every day we get up, you know, I hope my feet hit the ground. Satan says, "Oh crap, he's up again." You know, I want to just get up and celebrate life for what it is and be the best I can be. That doesn't mean I want you to fail. It means I want to be the best I can be. If you challenge me to be my best, thank you. And if you beat me, thank you, because I'll be back tomorrow, and, and I'm going to bring it. And that's the mentality I want in our football team, and we challenge them that way. You know, were you your best? Yes, you were successful, but were you your best on that? And they'll be honest with us and tell us. Coach, that's some just outstanding stuff. But now our last question we have for you today is completely not football-related on any level. So you're going to have to kind of change your, your mindset here a little bit. Um, if you were a professional baseball player or a professional uh, <laughs> WWF wrestler, and you had a, and you had a walk-up song, uh, and that was your entry into the into the arena, what would it be? And you have to tell us your why. Well, I got I would have two of them, but um, the, <laughs> the first one uh, I would choose. Uh, am I allowed one or two? You can have two. Well, yeah, you can have two. Yeah. Okay. The first one would be. Um, uh, the the bang the drum all day. All I want to do is bang the drum all day. Um, and that, that song um, was just so, uh, growing up, it was on every Friday morning, that song came on the radio. And that was the day that was my hardest workout day going through it. And it was all about a celebration of life. And um, I'll never forget getting up on some of those mornings. And I don't want to work. I just want to bang on my drum all day. And I'd sit there in <laughs> my head and I'd be at the end of my run and I'd be tired and I'd like, finish it. Well, ironically, then, it, you know, I'm a Packers fan, and, and that's the Packers song that they play in touchdowns. And, and, and I went to my first game, and I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe that that was actually the song that they're playing. I was, I was amazed. That was just uh, what it was all about uh, for that time. So that was probably the, the most instrumental one for me. And, and I've, my son's a baseball player, so they always choose their walk-up walk songs and everything else. But that was, that was a big one for me, um, without question. 